Guggenheim Football Talk Podcast. My name is Zach Guggenheim, and here we are to recap week three of the 2021 college football season. We're going to talk about some key takeaways, some things that surprised me, Big Ten power rankings, top 10, and then I'm going to rant a bit about officiating. If you watch the Penn State game at all, if you're a Penn State fan, you know exactly where I'm going with this, as well as a few other mini rants about officiating and things but before we get into all that remember to like and subscribe on youtube follow us on apple google spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and we're going to go right into the recap so went 11 and 2 this week puts me at 36 and 6 on the season the two losses were miami losing to michigan state and northwestern losing to duke those are the two teams and and i'll start there with with the things that stood out to me I was really torn on both these teams. I, or both these games rather. I, I think a lot of my hesitation came from my preseason thoughts about both of them. I, I thought Northwestern would be at least a little better than they are. They, they did show some fight at the end of that Duke game, but they lost 30 to 23. And I, I thought they would be better. Just flat out, I thought they'd be better. And so that's why I picked them against Duke. On the other hand, I I knew Michigan State was improved. I knew that they, you know, from the first two games, from them beating Northwestern and then beating Youngstown State, Kenneth Walker going off. I'm like, okay, they're they've got some dudes. They're 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 decent, but can they hang with Miami? Like Miami is a is a decent team. They've got some players. They've got some NFL talent, and so I just. I think I was hesitating with Michigan state because I knew that they were better, but I didn't know how much better they were. And so kind of what surprised me about Michigan state is they're not only improved, but they've got talent at receiver and nailer. They've got obviously talent in the run game. Their defensive line gets after you. I mean, they, I mean, they, got De'Ara King hurt and he was out of the game for a little bit because they were, they were physical at the point of attack. They were physical behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, Kenneth Walker again was a stud running the football. And then Peyton Thorne is a really good quarterback for them. He's not going to be an NFL guy. At least I don't think he will, but he can move. He can run for the first, he can run for first downs. He can buy time with his legs. He can make some really good throws. I think Michigan State is a major player moving forward in the Big Ten East. They've got they've got talent, they've got physicality. I think they've really bought into Mel Tucker. Uh, not words I thought that I would say, but Mel Tucker has done a great job getting this program back on track, and I'm really excited to see how they do as they enter. Uh, continue in conference play. They, they had Northwestern, but obviously the stakes will pick up a bit as they get into Big Ten East play. Northwestern, on the other hand, probably the worst team in the Big Ten, and that's not a shot at Pat Fitzgerald. This, is, this just tends to be a trend right now with Northwestern. They'll have a couple of years where they have really good talent because they have seniors and they've really developed and they get a couple of key transfers. So last year they had Peyton Ramsey at quarterback. He was a really decent quarterback for the Hoosiers that transferred in for a year. 
They had Cam Porter, obviously, who's hurt, who's hurt right now. Rashawn Slater was a first round tackle for Northwestern. I mean, his claim to fame is he held Chase Young to zero sacks and zero pressures. That's insane that he could do that. In fact, in the NFL, he just did it again against Chase Young. And he's not there anymore. And a lot of these key guys aren't there anymore. Patty Fisher, not there anymore. And because of that, because Northwestern doesn't recruit as well, they now have a down year. And so I, I don't think Pat Fitzgerald has lost his touch. I would not be surprised in a year or two if he has another team in the Big Ten championship game. I wouldn't even be surprised if he starts piling up a couple wins by the end of the season because he's just really good at getting his team going later on and developing his guys. So I, I like Northwestern moving forward. I love Pat Fitzgerald, but this is probably right now the worst team in the Big Ten. So unfortunate for Northwestern, but just the past three games, I think we have seen that they're, they're going to struggle this year until they can, they can really build on something. Moving on, I was really surprised at the Northwest or the Minnesota Colorado score. I thought that was going to be close. I had that, I think, as a three point game. And they won 30 to nothing. And remember, Colorado took Texas AM to the wire. It was 10 to seven. I know they knocked out Texas AM's quarterback, but 10 to seven, they scored on Texas AM. They did not score against Minnesota's leaky defense. That's, that's crazy to me. I thought they'd be able to at least move the ball a little bit on the ground, but Minnesota did great. Uh, Trace on pots, 125 yards on the ground again in relief of Mo Ibrahim, who's out for the season. Chris Altman Bell was back and he's obviously their best receiver. And they, they've got some talent at receiver now. And Tanner Morgan playing really good as a senior quarterback. So I, I don't know where Minnesota is. I feel like they're confusing to me because Miami of Ohio played them tough last week. And obviously, you know, they, they led Ohio State for a little bit until their playmakers kind of turned on the Jets. But I'm impressed by that win. I'm, I'm surprised by it, impressed by it, intrigued to see to see how the West really shakes out because if Minnesota can score and can get the ball down the field, that could be a team that, that maybe can upset Iowa. So we'll see. I, I like Minnesota. I like, I like how they played this past, this past week against Colorado. Uh, going, staying in the, in the big 10 West, Nebraska continues to be a disappointment. Now I know, I know people will say, well, they, they hung with Oklahoma and they did, but the, the sad fact of it is they have no one but themselves to blame for not pulling the upset. They could have pulled the upset. They could have won that game. They were physical with them. They were able to move the ball, but they turned the ball over too many times. They made too many silly mistakes. They were undisciplined. And that's been the story game after game after game with the Scott Frost era in Nebraska. And it's frustrating because I think they have guys. I don't think this is a team that should have lost to Illinois, but they really, they they could have won this game really could have been a huge boost to their program could have given a lot of job security to Scott Frost, but the thing that kept them from winning the game 
was themselves. It wasn't the fact that Oklahoma was better. It was that Nebraska was the current iteration of Nebraska and they struggled. And so I just don't know how Scott Frost survives. And I, I don't like advocating for coaches being fired, but this has been the story with Scott Frost's team ever since he got there in 2018. And if, if they can't get the discipline thing down in year four, it's time to go. They need a guy who can be hard-nosed, fundamentally sound, and still generate excitement at Nebraska. And right now, that's not Scott Frost. And so, sad for them. I thought they had a golden opportunity to have a marquee upset, and instead, they, they blow it. And they really, they really could have done it. So, moving on to, to other disappointing coaching, uh, Ohio State really struggled. The 41-20 score is fool's gold. It was 27-20 with only a few minutes left. But I want you to remember the name Travion Henderson. He is the next superstar running back, not just at Ohio State, but in the country. Had 23 carries, 277 yards, three touchdowns. He is a stud. He's a freshman, probably won the the starting running back job this week, and he's not going to let go of it until he leaves. He is that good. I would not be surprised if he ends the season as the best running back in the Big Ten. And that's taking nothing away from Kenneth Walker. It's taking nothing away from Blake Corum. He is that good. He is that dynamic. And if you don't believe me, go and watch the highlights. I know it's Tulsa, but just watch him outrun dudes. Watch him juke guys out of their shoes. Watch him run through tackles. He is a stud. Superstar in the making. Going outside the conference for a minute. Bama's not unbeatable. I said that after they beat Miami, that I think a lot of people were overreacting to their dominance. It's like, Miami's not that good. This is what Alabama does. Let's, let's see how they do week three. I don't think Florida is all that great. Uh, I, I don't have them in my, my top 10. I, I have them a little outside of it right now, but it was interesting to me, obviously in the first quarter, first quarter Alabama unleashed and it was 21 to three. It looked like it was off to the races, but Florida came back. They outgained Alabama offensively. They were able to run the ball against the Crimson Tide. And quite honestly, if it weren't for a really dumb, poorly, I'll say poorly executed two point conversion, they tie that game with a shot to win it. And Honestly, I, I don't, again, I don't think Florida was all that impressive in their first two wins. And now Bama has to go and play the SEC West, which is probably the best division in college football. It's between them and the Big Ten East. And I'd probably give the nod to the, to the SEC West. They've got to play Arkansas, Ole Miss, Texas A&M, Auburn. And you can say whatever you want about the deficiencies of some of those teams, a lot of them are more real than most other teams are going to see in any given year. And it's the most, most real schedule that Alabama's had in years. Listen, they're going to lose to Ole Miss. I'm calling it right now. I think Ole Miss gets them. I think there's probably a second loss in there. Now, maybe that's just me hoping that Alabama loses. And if, if my aunt Piper is listening, Piper, I love you. And I know you're a big Bama fan, but I, I, 
I hope I'm right on this. Um, but I just, I think Bama has some deficiencies that will continue to get exploited with better defenses and quite honestly, better throwers. And I think Lane Kiffin can exploit that with at Ole Miss with Matt Corral and all those boys. Uh, Penn State, really, really good. Uh, it's really hard to win when you have 11 players on the field and the other team has 17. The refs were a problem in that game, and we're going to talk about that. But I want to talk about how excellent Penn State was, particularly Sean Clifford, 29 of 33. I think he threw for over uh, 300 yards in that game. The defense was nasty. Again, that back seven is so good. It's so good. Jaquan Brisker, man, he is the truth at safety. Uh, Joey Porter Jr. and uh, Castro Fields. I don't know why I forgot his name, but really great at corner. Brandon Smith, he had a pick six gift wrap to him and he dropped it, but he still made a great play, baited Bo Nix. I thought, I thought they did really well. I thought the score actually wasn't indicative in how they controlled the game. Yes, Tank Bigsby took them on an eight-minute drive late in the third quarter. But I, I thought Penn State really did well. And when they had to run, they ran the ball. When they, when they needed to get those tough yards, they got them. Noah Kane, really effective as a patient runner. So, yeah, Penn State, really good win. I think it's an impressive win. I think Auburn is is a pretty good team in the SEC this this year. We'll, we'll see again, kind of moving forward. Lastly, I, I think the Big Ten, on the whole, looks very good. Maryland three and zero. They got over the hump in winning the game that they should win. Right? They they always look good early and then they blow it to some bad team. Well, they played Illinois, and it looked like Illinois was going to win, and I thought the Terrapins showed a lot of character in coming back to win that game. We can talk about if Illinois lost it or if Maryland won it, but it showed a lot of character and Talia Tagovailoa to come back and win that game. So good for the Terps. They're three and zero, probably on the cusp of, of getting ranked in the top 25 Rutgers three and zero, and they're taking teams to the woodshed. Yes. I know it's Delaware. I know it's temple, but it's also Rutgers and they're taking teams to the woodshed. And I'm really, I'm really intrigued by the Michigan Rutgers matchup this week. I, I still don't know how much I trust Rutgers. I think Michigan is probably going to win by a few touchdowns, but I'm really intrigued to see if they, they can put together something and keep it close and maybe pull out an upset. I, I think that's on the table because they're solid in all three phases. Special teams, defense, offense. And I think they can get a lot of hidden yards and a lot of hidden points in defense and special teams that can really sneak up on teams and bite them. Michigan is a serious threat this year. Michigan State looks dynamic. Penn State and Iowa both have two ranked wins. And the only other team in the country that has that right now is Alabama. The Big Ten's legit. And if, if Ohio State can get their stuff together, Ohio State has the most talent out of anyone in the Big Ten, and they obviously will be a threat. I don't know how much that's going to be right now because right now they, they look poorly coached and they look so out of position. But if, if their youth can really take over and if, they're, if they, the coaching catches up with the potential, 
again, Ohio State has the, the potential to be a playoff caliber team. So the Big Ten, I think, is in really good shape. Uh, really good conference, probably second only to the SEC, but definitely better than the Pac-12, the ACC, and the Big 12, for sure. Uh, with that being said, let me, let me talk about the Big Ten power rankings. I'm going to go quick on this. Last, I have Northwestern at 14. I just don't see any playmakers on that team right now, except for maybe Evan Hall. They have a lot of work to do. I thought struggled against Indiana State. Not very good against Duke. Started to make some strides to make it close in the end, but I just don't have any faith in Northwestern. I, I thought Illinois acquitted themselves at least in keeping it close with Maryland. But again, they struggled to close that game out in the fourth quarter. Surprised at how much Brandon Peters struggled. And so I've got them at 13. 12, I have Nebraska. I, I know people will say, why do you have Nebraska ahead of Illinois when Illinois beat Nebraska? And it's because it, since the since Illinois beat Nebraska, they haven't shown me anything that tells me that they can actually win a game, uh, except maybe against Northwestern. I have Purdue at 11. I, I thought they would do better against Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame pulled away, and that game wasn't as close as I thought it would be real shame that David Bell went down. I don't know how long he'll be out, but if, if David Bell's out for any extended period of time, I think that that's a real blow to produce chances of doing well throughout the year. So uh, prayers up for David Bell. I hope he gets better. Indiana at 10. I thought they acquitted themselves nicely against Cincinnati, but man, Penix, Penix does not look the same guy, like the same guy. They couldn't get vertical. I said they had to if they wanted a chance to beat Cincinnati. And then, you know, Micah McFadden getting ejected again. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but that was a huge blow. That changed the entire course of that game. So I've got Indiana at 10. Minnesota at nine. Again, really impressed by their win against Colorado. Really intrigued to see how they build on that moving forward. Rutgers at eight. I think Rutgers, again, you look at their offense and you're like, eh, defense. You're like, okay, they've got some guys on defense, but who have they played? Special teams, you're like, wow, you know, Crickshank is, is really good at punt returner for them. They've got, they are a well-coached team. And that really counts for something. And right now, I think, I just think they're a hair better than, than Minnesota. I think they'd be, Minnesota right now could easily be wrong, but I really like Rutgers right now. They're doing really well. Seven. I've Maryland. Again, you have uh, fleet Davis in the backfield, Jarrett and Demas and, and Tagovailoa. That, that is a potent offense that the one thing for the Terps that they have to work on is third down offense. They've got to convert more on third down. Uh, otherwise that's going to become a real struggle for them as they play the upper tier teams in the big 10. Wisconsin at six, they have a big prove-it game this week against Notre Dame at, uh, I think, at Soldier Field. So that'll be an interesting game for them. Curious to see how Wisconsin does. Can Graham Mertz throw the ball down the field with his underrated receivers and Pryor and Danny Davis? Ohio State, five. Nothing that I've seen right now suggests that they've fixed anything on defense. And this week, honestly, C.J. Stroud looked average at best. 
the 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 passing game struggled like they needed Travion Henderson to run for 277 yards that's not good enough and it's Tulsa Tulsa is not very good so I, until further notice, Ohio State's going to keep going down the Big Ten rankings unless if they can show me something. Number four, I have Michigan. And the only reason I have them under Michigan State is because Michigan has not beaten a ranked team. Michigan State at three. Obviously, they, they just beat the brakes off of Miami. Again, score, you say, oh, well, they, they only led 24 to 17 until the end of the fourth uh mid to late fourth quarter, but that game was not as close at, as that indicated. They were blowing those guys off the ball. Kenneth Walker was a stud all game long. They couldn't stop him. I, I think Michigan state's for real Iowa at two. I, I think, I think Kent state was good for them and getting their offense going. I do. I do have some concerns about their offense especially if they face a team who can slow down their offense and also keep themselves from making turnover or causing turnovers or making turnovers. I think if Penn state plays a clean game against the Hawkeyes in a few weeks, I think Penn state wins that game. So I've got Iowa at two Penn state at one. I think Penn state's the best team in the big 10 right now. Hopefully Penn state fans don't think that's the kiss of death, but again, really good receivers. Their running backs are, are really good. I think the offensive line is improving and Clifford, man, he's playing his butt off played really well against Auburn he played really well in the second half at Wisconsin. I think Mike Yurcich's offense has been a, a welcome change for him. So Penn state, my number one team, let me just go through my top 10 real quick. Let me just be real clear. Clemson and Ohio state are nowhere to be found on this list. And they won't be until Clemson's offense and Ohio State's defense gets better. Look, they struggled against teams that they should they have no business struggling against. Clemson scored 14 points against a Georgia Tech team that lost to Northern Illinois. The same Northern Illinois team that just got boat raced by the by the Wolverines. And then Tulsa lost to a Division II team. Okay, so until Ohio State and Clemson can prove to me that they can grow and be better on those perspective sides of the ball. We're not, they're nowhere close to the top 10. So just, that's my, my, uh, my disclaimer for this top 10. I'll go through this very quickly. Number 10, I've got Michigan state. Again, I think they're, they're really good this year. Uh, number nine is Texas A&M starting to show a little bit more life. Number eight, Notre Dame. Notre Dame, I thought, played against Purdue better than I thought they would. I thought Purdue would put up more of a fight. Again, you might think, how can you put Notre Dame eight? I like their offensive line. Michael Mayer is a stud at tight end. I think Jack Cohn has been a, a welcome change at quarterback. Not that Ian Book was bad, but I think Cohn actually brings a little bit more to, to the offense. And I think the defense is going to work it out. You saw it against Purdue. I really, really trust Marcus Freeman at defensive coordinator. So I've got Notre Dame at eight. I've got Oklahoma at seven. There's no reason they should have struggled that much with Nebraska. If they want to be a top four team, you can't struggle that much against the Cornhuskers. Number six, I have Ole Miss. I, they boat raced the team 
that Oklahoma struggled with in week one, uh, Tulane. Uh, impressive offensively, really like this team. Again, I think they have a really, well, I don't think, just think they have a, a really good shot. I'm calling Ole Miss to beat Alabama. Number five, Iowa. Number four, Penn State. Number three, Oregon. Number two, Georgia. Number one, Alabama. I wanted to put Georgia ahead of Alabama this week, but Alabama has two ranked wins. And now Miami is going to fall out of the rankings this week. And Florida, right, I would keep them. They're, they're probably my first team out, just the way they hung with Alabama. But the fact that Alabama has beaten those two teams, combined with the fact that Georgia Georgia's win against Clemson, quite honestly, does not look as good as it did in week one. So I still think Georgia's really good. I have them at two. I still think they're the two right now, currently the two best teams in college football, but both of those teams are going to have challenges ahead. So that's my top 10. And I'm going to end with a bit of a rant and maybe there's a little bit of inspiration from Buckeye talk, Doug Maurice. Uh, if you guys don't follow him, even if you're not, if you don't follow the Buckeyes, you should follow his podcasts. Uh, it's Buckeye talk for, from cleveland.com. And then also he, he co-hosts a show called the, the national college football playoff show, which is, I think a really good podcast. So go and listen to those, but he, he gets on rants and maybe he's my inspiration for this. I'm going to rant about officiating and targeting and hopefully it's it's clear but if it's not i'm sorry but i feel like i just this needs a rant this deserves a rant first of all replay is stupid instant replay is the dumbest thing in college football right now not because it's not a good idea but because we don't abide by the rules so the rules say that you cannot overturn anything unless if it, there is indisputable evidence. What does the word indisputable means? Or what does it mean? It means without any doubt. So if you have any question that you shouldn't overturn it, then you can't overturn it by the definition of indisputable. And yet, time after time after time, over the first three weeks, I have seen plays where it's either a 50-50 chance, which means you can't overturn it, or absolutely no, no evidence whatsoever that something should be overturned. And then it gets overturned. And their explanation is just stupid. And so a, a good example, if you watch the Ohio State-Tulsa game, like I did, I tortured myself watching that game. Denzel Burke, true freshman corner, who is really playing well for them, about one of the few highlights of that team right now. Denzel Burke comes in and rips a ball away from a receiver. And it is, it's called an interception on the field. It's called an interception on the field. And you look at the replay and it's even in slow motion, it's bang, bang whether the receiver caught it and had possession and made a football move or 
Denzel Burke came away with the interception. And so remember, the call on the field is interception. Is there indisputable evidence? The rules expert in the booth said, oh, it should stand. In fact, it should be confirmed. The play-by-play and color analyst also said it should stand. 80,000 fans in the horseshoe, which obviously they're biased because it was an Ohio State player who made the play, but they all saw it. And then they come back and they say, we have indisputable evidence that the player, the receiver, caught the ball and made a football move, and therefore it is a catch. Okay. The rules expert and the play-by-play guy and the color analyst guy all think it should not just stand, but it's confirmed to be an interception. Then how on earth do you reverse it? And I have seen this time and time again, plays like this, where something is reviewed. It is clearly not indisputable and they overturn it. And it is, it's, it's, frustrating but it also makes me question the integrity of the game because often especially in these non-conference tilts you have visiting conference crews so again in the ohio state oregon game there was uh, a targeting call on chris olave uh the oregon defender was called for targeting or they were reviewing it for targeting on chris olave and The rules expert said, oh, it's clearly targeting. And they say it's not targeting. And it's a Pac-12 crew that initiates that. So who's to say that the Pac-12 is not on the take to overturn a call? Now, I'm not blaming Pac-12 officials for Ohio State losing that game. I want to make that clear. Ohio State lost that game well before that play. But it, it begs the question... Like, how can we trust the replay official and how can we trust their intentions? Which brings me to Saturday night, Penn State versus Auburn. I've never seen someone call intentional grounding on a broken off route. I've never seen it. And they called intentional grounding. That's it's it's absurd. And what was even more absurd is later in the game, they don't call intentional grounding on Bo Nix when he is clearly inside the tackle box. Like clearly, like you can see the hash mark that he was supposed to be outside of if he was going to throw the ball away. And they called and they didn't call intentional grounding. And let I mean, that's not even counting all the other ways that they nearly screwed the Nittany Lions. I mean, they forgot what down it was, so they they told him it was fourth down when it was third? Like, what the heck? And if this is a Big Ten crew, or if it was a neutral crew, I'd have no questions. I'd just say, okay, they're incompetent, and they should either be suspended or fired. But here's the reality. This was an SEC officiating crew. Now, I I don't want to go into conspiracy theories. But my question is, who who holds these officials accountable? 
There is no less than five awful calls against Penn State in this game. And there now they I think they they did have a couple of makeup calls, and I thought the targeting call on the one yard line against Auburn was a joke. But it begs the question, who's who's holding these officials accountable? Is it the SEC? Because if it's the SEC, maybe they're giving them a pat on the back afterwards. I don't know, but the SEC just pulled a fast one on everyone in college football by getting Oklahoma and Texas. It's their fault that the Big 12 is imploding. Like, who holds these guys official? Uh, 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 the, who holds these officials accountable? Why is the NCAA not centrally involved in officiating? And why are they not centrally involved in these non-conference games that are honestly high stakes? Like, if Penn State loses that game, everybody's talking about how the Big Ten probably should, shouldn't get a, a team in the playoff after this. And Auburn, now that they're, they're, they have a loss, they have no room for error. And so there's, there's a lot of implications with these big non-conference games. Why is the NCAA not centrally involved in non-conference games? especially with officiating and especially with the replay booth. It's absurd. And, and the, the potential, I'm not, I'm not accusing of this crew. Uh, I'm not accusing this crew of corruption, but the potential for corruption in this sport with all the money that's being thrown around, not to the players, but to the programs, to the athletic directors, to the coaches, to the institutions, to ESPN and Fox. You don't think that the possi- there's a possibility of corruption in this? And of course, who's, who's the real problem here? Well, it's the NCAA because they don't regulate anything. Which brings me to my second rant point, and then I'll be done. How the NCAA cannot see the absurdity of their targeting rule and not change it blows my mind. I do not understand two things. The first is, how is it an ejection? Look, I get that we want to protect the players. I get it. Let's protect the players. Okay, 15-yard penalty. Let's do that. But the Indiana-Cincinnati game was changed because you ejected the best defender on their team on a hit that had no business even being targeting. That wasn't the point of the rule. And so now you throw out Micah McFadden, who was leading a defense that had stymied Desmond Ritter and Jerome Ford all game long up to that point. And not only do you give them 15 free yards, you eject their best defender out of the game. It, it altered the game entirely. And that's not the point of targeting. The point of targeting is to protect players. That is an overkill penalty. So uh, some people have suggested have a targeting one, have a targeting two. Targeting one is, uh, it's like a flagrant one in, in, in the NBA where you get two shots and then flagrant two is you're disqualified from the game. I like that idea. I think it's a great idea, but I think, I think you've got to, you got to do something with this because it's ruining the game. I mean, we saw it against Ohio, with Ohio state Clemson a couple years ago, Sean Wade is called for targeting 
because Trevor Lawrence dips his shoulder and he's thrown out of the game and it changed the entire course of the game. Not just because they got 15 yards, but because Sean Wade was their best slot defender. He was a key to that defense. And so for, for this rule to have that much of an effect on plays that could easily be uh, bang, bang plays that you can't avoid, just like the Auburn defender uh, against Penn State at the, at the two-yard line or the one-yard line, it just it makes no sense to me why they don't change this and why they don't change it yesterday. And the issue to me is the NCAA continues to fail at regulating their sport. So NCAA, get off your butt. Mark Emmert, you make millions of dollars. Get off your butt, do something, and make the sport better because you actually have the power to. It's not hard. And so that's that's my rant. I The second thing, and I, I, I won't get too much in it, I can't stand that we review targeting when it's not called on the field. I, I, and I get that there might be some instances where it's warranted, but most of the time it, it just feels like if you're not going to call it on the field, why are, we, why are we reviewing it to call it? I can't stand the rule. I get that it's to protect the players. Let's find a better solution for it because targeting is ruining college football, not because, not because we're taking the violent hits away, but because we're ejecting kids 95% of the time that aren't intending to harm anyone. And often it's because they can't, you can't stop the momentum. And so I may, maybe there are football people here who disagree and like, oh, they can learn to do te- better technique. They can learn to do this. And sure, I, and I'm all for that, but let's, let's be real. The way that targeting is altering games is incredibly ridiculous and it needs to change as does accountability for officiating crews. And the only entity that can do that besides the power five is the NCAA. And it's time for Mark Emmert to get off his butt and do something about it. This has been, this has been the big 10 football talk podcast. Thanks for listening. I'll be dropping another episode for my week four picks by either by Thursday or Friday night. I'll try to figure out when, when I'll get time to do it this week busy week for for us here but thanks for listening uh would love to hear your thoughts feel free to drop a review please share uh we we'd love to continue to get the podcast out to get your support i appreciate you for listening thanks for taking the time hope you have a great night god bless